Picture a meeting room in London. Gathered around the table are just nine people with the power to change millions of people's living costs, even how much money is in their savings accounts. Last week, those people, the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, decided to do just that, moving interest rates to their highest level in almost a decade. Uh, for some people, it is going to be a further squeeze, and the Bank of England will be very cautious about making sure that it doesn't slam the brakes on too far, too fast. If you've got a mortgage, it might get more expensive. If you've got savings, you might get a bit more interest on your money. A spokesman for Theresa May said she'd now expect to see higher rates for savers. We'll see how quickly that will happen. So, does this tell us anything about what the Bank of England thinks is going to happen to the economy? And was it the right decision? Well, it is a good news story in a, in a couple of respects. First, um... An increase of a quarter of a percentage point might not seem like a huge deal, but some people say it's part of the emergency plan for another recession in two or three years' time. I think the, the, the possibility of a no deal is uncomfortably high at this point, yes. Today on the Weekly Economics Podcast, we're talking about whether the Bank of England made the right call. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay with us. I'm really pleased to be joined for the first time by Alfie Sterling, who is Head of Economics. Are you Head of Economics? Afraid so, yeah. What?! That is mad. Not, not, not in general, just here. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Head of Economics here at the Neuroeconomics Foundation. That is an impressive title. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks. And congrats. <laughs> Thanks for having that me. That was literally like being like head of trains at the train place. Well, no, it'd be like head of trains <laughs> at like the think tank that looks at trains. Yeah, but still right. great. Well done. Okay. Anyway, we're going to try and keep this one short and quite concentrated to give our listeners a speedy briefing on the whole interest rates thing. So let's start with a little bit of context. What sort of state is the economy in? If you could just give us an overview, about 30 seconds or something, sum that up, that's great. Um, and then what are the key things the Bank of England will have been taking into consideration when they made that decision? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the funny thing about the economy right now is superficially it looks like it might be all right. So it's kind of, it's growing, whatever whatever that means. GDP is getting, getting bigger. There are a lot of people in employment. People got jobs. And unemployment's pretty low. So you know, so far, so good. The problem is if you start looking underneath those indicators, so what type of employment, it's a lot of uh, insecure, part-time underemployment where people aren't able to do all the things they want to do in their working life. Pay is really, really weak. So people actually haven't had a pay rise on average in more than 10 years mm. and actually aren't expecting to get one for another five or six years. So the Bank of England will have been thinking you know, okay, things look quite good in the headline indicators, but when we start to unravel some of the things underneath, that's when they begin to worry and why this decision to raise interest rates was particularly tough for them. Okay. So let's talk about what a change in the Bank of England base rate actually affects, what it means in real terms. So what would it, what is it going to mean for normal people like me and you? Are mortgages going up? Are savings going up? What does this mean? Yeah, so... The funny thing is, it's it's also it's not exact science about what it's going to mean because it will all depend on how banks and other market actors react. But it's thought that you know increasing the interest rate, which is what we've, what the bank's done from zero point five percent to zero point seven five percent, will probably affect mortgages to the tune of about maybe eighteen or nineteen pounds um, a month. But what's physically happening is commercial banks all have like uh, just like you and I have a have an account at a. Um, at our bank, commercial banks have their own account at the central bank, and they get paid on that account, just like we do in our account for you know, a small amount of, in, amount of interest. And the interest rate that's been changed is the rate on those commercial bank accounts at the central bank. And the reason that's important is because 
that kind of offers a floor for all interest rates in the economy. So once that goes up a little bit, you'd expect banks to then put interest rate up further on down the chain. One of the key things, though, is that although this will affect mortgages and, and other savings accounts, other things don't respond so quickly. So credit cards might not be affected so much. Um, and there's going to be a kind of a variable effect across the economy. Is there anything else that's going to happen to normal people that we need to be worried about? What do I need to be looking out for? So in terms of immediate effects, it won't it, there won't be any kind of things you can put your finger on and be like, oh, that's really exciting, that's really, that's really scary. It's actually more about the generalised effects across the economy. And the worry with raising interest rates is that people start to slow down their spending. Mm. So right now, the whole UK model of, of how, we do, how we do it, how we do economics, is get households just to spend, 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 buy, 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 bring money forward from the future through borrowing, and, then we'll, and we won't worry about that. We'll all just keep going and, and the economy will keep growing. Um, the problem is, is that even a marginal increase uh, in the interest rate will just have a little dampener on all that spending. And it's in a knock-on effect. Does that mean there's going to be fewer jobs? Does that mean that living standards won't rise so quickly? So it's, it's the effect on a system rather than the kind of individualised effect on individual people that most people are kind of thinking about. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to come back to some of that risky business in a bit. But for now, so let's stay with the Bank of England. Is kind of jigging, rejigging and jigging interest rates the only thing that the Bank of England does? Because it kind of seems like the only thing we ever hear about. Do they do other stuff as well? They do, yeah. So this is kind of the side of things which is called monetary policy. And this is, pr- this is one of their main tools uh, for kind of managing inflation. So it's all about managing inflation in the economy. There's another whole half of the Bank of England which is about managing risk and finance, trying to make sure there aren't kind of bubbles or pockets of risk that might threaten financial stability. Um, but that is, or that should be, thought of as completely separate to setting interest rates. So one is about managing inflation and the kind of stability of the economy as a whole, and the other one is about financial stability and whether banks are safe and whether lending looks like it's going to deliver good value for, for consumers. Mm. Okay, so why, we talked about it a little bit already, but the Monetary Policy Committee, MPC, why did they make this decision to put interest rates up? Obviously, some people have been speculating that they know stuff that we don't. What do you think? So the interesting thing is they're, they're really in a bit of a catch-22. So they, on the one hand, interest rates have been, it's like a life support. We've had the most ultra-low interest rates for almost 10 years now. Um, and it's almost like a drug that the economy's got addicted to, which is this ultra, ultra-cheap credit, uh, which is allowing families to, um, and households to keep borrowing. And the bank will have been a bit worried about this because the, the longer that we keep using this drug, this medicine, um, to keep the economy afloat, we risk pushing families over the brink in terms of their mm-hmm. borrowing. But the other thing that happens is it makes investors think, well, what's the point in me saving, putting money in savings or lending to people because the interest rate is extremely low? What I'll do instead is put it into an asset like housing. So it really pushes lots of people to just put money into housing, which can create asset bubbles where you know the value of a house goes up far, far faster than its real value. And that's happening. In the economy. Right? And that's happening as well. Mm-hmm. So the bank would have been looking at that and, and, and thinking, this is this is this threatens stability in the economy. Now, they're not strictly speaking supposed to worry about that, but they will have been looking at that and being worried. The other thing they'll have been they'll say they're worried about is inflation. So they'll say that inflation right now is above the target for the economy of two, uh, a little bit over two percent. And they'll say that while it's above target, we want to raise interest rates because that will reduce spending and and cool Mm. things down and inflation will come down. But in reality, we know that inflation has mainly been driven by uh, the pound crashing. Mm. I mean, exports become more expensive. So it's not domestic consumption. It's not domestic factors that are driving it. So a lot of people have critiqued the Bank of England's decision on those grounds to say it's not really about inflation, this. The final thing that that they'll be thinking about is when we go into another recession, what we really need is for interest rates to be quite high to start with so they can be cut to provide a stimulus and get spending going again. 
But the problem is at the moment is interest rates are so close to zero. There's just no space to be can't they can't go below zero. And so the bank knows is that with you know Brexit uncertainty looming, they're gonna have to get them back up to some reasonable level just to give themselves that breathing space going forward. Mm. So two things on that. So one of them was in terms of the inflation point, that the idea of uh, raising interest rates to lower inflation ha- has been proven to work in the past, right? That's what they did in America with Paul Volcker and all that kind of stuff. Um, so is that an entirely moot point? No, not at all. It, it, so it's all about the type of inflation. So there's, mm-hmm. I mean, without getting too technical, you have um, different drivers of, of why prices might increase. And if the driver is that, that we're running out of people that want more hours of work, and therefore they're able to start demanding higher wages uh, because companies can't disemploy someone else, then that might increase inflation because everyone's wages start to rise. So that's one that's one driver which the interest rate can affect because mm. it's a domestic pressure. But another driver could be external, so outside the country, um, nothing to do with us, oil prices might suddenly uh, change. Um, the value of sterling might suddenly change its value and therefore everything we're buying abroad changes its price. And those things the interest rate doesn't have such a, a uh, strong impact on is such a good tool for dealing with. And the argument is that if it's the former, interest rates are effective and historically mm. they've been shown to be so. If it's the latter, they're not so effective. And so a lot of this is about working out which of the two it is. Mm. Um, so it's called, um, the bank has the um, ability to to look through the inflation targets. So they have a target, but they can kind of look through it to see to say, well, what is the driver? Is it actually the driver I can deal with or is it a different driver? In which case I have to think about something different. Okay, so the second thing was uh, talking about when you were talking about um, raising interest rates to then cut them later. Someone mentioned something to me the other day about negative interest rates in yeah. Tokyo or something. Yeah. What is that? That sounds great. Is it? So that, that is really relevant to this. So um, zero could be your kind of your lower bound, if you like, the, the point at which you can't go any lower with interest rates. But actually, some countries have experimented with going negative, and the idea is that you actually start you start charging banks. Uh, for the deposits they hold at the central bank, and that means they pass on an even lower interest rate further on. The The problem is it doesn't actually get around this this, this idea that there is sort of a lower bound to how mm. far low they can go. Because at some point, if you go too far into the negative, and, and Switzerland actually have gone further than um, than Japan, um, is that at some point it becomes more expensive for banks to use digital money than it would be just to use cash wow. and to start just like stockpiling and building all the manual systems to do it. So at some point, that, that negative value will get too negative and then... The whole system would start to uh, break down, but yeah, and, and and there are other concerns as well. Like it's not entirely clear that banks will produce a lower a lower rate in the economy when you go negative. They might actually start charging people in order mm. to make up the lost profit at the central bank. So it's a slight it's slight unknown territory, and we don't quite know how low you can go. But the point is, yes, you can, and it's interesting. And, and different countries have experimented, but it doesn't get around the entire problem of there being a limit or a or a floor, if you like, to how low they can go. Mm. So a helpful visual here is like an interest rate limbo, where it's like, yeah, how bendy nice. are you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> it's exactly like that. <laughs> okay, great. So what is the case for not putting interest rates up then? We've obviously talked about these different indicators and stuff like that. But yeah, what would you say the case is for not making this decision? So if you put up interest rates too early, um, the definition of that would be putting them up while spending in the economy is not is not secured or demand in the economy is not stable and not... Um, not going to reliably keep increasing. So if you if you think for any reason that the economy is not moving along uh, nicely and you raise interest rates, people stop uh, people stop spending so much. That means companies stop producing so much, and then people's jobs come on the line. So the danger of doing it too early, if you do it before you think there's an inflationary pressure, 
is you stop the economy from using up the real resources that are out there, people, um, materials, uh, all the other things that go into the services and goods that we all um, use and buy. And if that happens, then you, you kind of lock the economy into a kind of a lower potential and you're no longer providing high standards of living or at least not as high as you would otherwise be doing. So it's about this trade-off between not going, not having them too, interest rates too low that you start to cause inflation or you start stretching, overstretching households, but not raising them so early that you waste resources in the economy. So do you think that they made the wrong call then? Do you think they're too high? So I think they, they did make the wrong call. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, there's, that wages are not picking up quickly enough, there's a lot of underemployment, uh, we're nowhere near the kind of full potential of the economy, if you like. But but actually, I think the bigger picture here is it's not really about whether it was the right or wrong call. It's more why was the bank put in a position where it had to make such a terrible choice between keeping this drug of cheap credit in the economy with all its side effects versus raising it too early and, and, and wasting livelihoods. The bigger picture is why hasn't the government stepped in free spending? Why hasn't the government taken on the risk of getting the economy moving again rather than pushing it all onto households to borrow? And so it's the absence of that intervention from the Treasury, from the government, that is the really big kind of question here. Why have they, why have they not done anything and why have they put the bank in this position? Interesting. OK, so this is hence the catch-22 thing that you talked about with this. It kind of mm. sounds like the government's just wanting to step back and let someone else make the difficult decision. Exactly. So unlike them. OK, so let's talk quickly about the prospect of another recession. So as we alluded to at the top, some people have said that this is part of an emergency plan. And the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, was warning last week that the risk of a no-deal Brexit is uncomfortably high. So would increasing interest rates help the economy in the long run and is this is that what they're trying to do so I mean, there's so many different things to think about i guess so if there is no recession coming down the line it will almost certainly not be helpful in the long run because it will probably mean more people have poor quality jobs more people are unemployed than would otherwise need to be if there is a recession coming it's possible that it'll be helpful that interest rates are a bit higher before it comes along and you can cut them again but in reality you know, Brexit decision now is, you know, a few months away before we get an initial kind of flavour of the direction. The effects are still only two years away. Interest rates can't rise that much anyway in that time. Um, and so if put it this way, in the, with the last recession, we cut rates by more than 5%. And we know that was nowhere near enough. The recession was still really deep. Right now, they're at 0.75. They might go up to one and a half, but we're still talking about nowhere near enough space to respond to a recession. So I think the argument that this is the responsible thing to do probably doesn't hold. So you said in the last recession, we cut them by how much? About five percentage points. Wow. So they were sitting a bit above 5% in 2007, and they needed to go all the way down to zero mm. in the space of a couple of years, and then just stay at zero for, for 10 years, which is almost unpre unprecedented. Wow. Okay, so what else do you think that the government should do then if there is another recession? I hear that you've got an interesting central heating analogy. <laughs> I guess a good way to place to start is that... Um, the real kind of like power or usefulness of government budgets, if you like, is its ability to take on risk, which is a bit of a paradox because everyone talks about, you know, oh, fiscal risks or risks to the government's balance sheet. We need to get debt down. And it's actually the complete opposite way to how we should be thinking about it. So the point of government is to take on risks that you wouldn't want families and individuals to otherwise take on. So a classic example is, um, you know, universal health care. You have a choice. Either the government can take on the risk of providing a health insurance for everyone which is that whenever they get ill, the government will pay for it and they can go to a hospital. Or saying to families, you deal with your own risk, have, an, have a bank account with a few thousand pounds in it um, and you can pay for your private healthcare and if you don't have it, you've, you've, um, you've drawn a short straw. Like the US? Like the US. 
So if so, if it's really efficient to spread risk at, through government budgets, then we should be thinking about that more broadly. And the question shouldn't be, has the government is you know how can we get risk off the government's balance sheet? But it should become, what risks are out there that are best met by government spending? And in this context, you could think about it being the risk of trying to get the economy moving again by investing, by um, producing new goods, uh, by creating new markets. Um, so rather than having low interest rates and just saying the government uh, doesn't want anything to do with this, you're going to have to get overdrawn and you're going to have to um, ramp up your credit card bill um, to get the economy moving again. Government could step in and say, well, actually, we'll take on a bit more of the burden. And the the, heat, the central heating analogy is is a bit like saying um, in winter, there's a risk that your central heating might come on. Um, but that, that's the point of central heating. Mm-hmm. When it's cold, it comes on. Just like just in the same in the same instance, um, it's a bit like saying in a recession or in a slow growth, there's a risk that government budgets might grow, uh, government debt might grow um, to, to um, get the economy moving again. It's not a risk; that's what it's there for. Mm. Nice. That was a very slick analogy. I don't know if it was. I think I, I think I wrote it better than I said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it works. It works. So um, also, it's not mine. I should say I stole that actually from someone called Simon and Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, TM. Okay, great. Um, Cool. I feel like I have a deeper understanding of what has recently happened with interest rates than I did before. So thank you very much. Are there any other burning feelings, sensations that you have that you want to share about what's just happened? Yeah. So I, I mean, it's it's kind of boring and technical, really. But it's what we're here for. One one of the um one of the reasons why um, government hasn't done the right thing, um, in my view, is that what it calls its fiscal rules, the kind of the rule by which it conducts its um its borrowing and its spending say that the priority of government is to just push down on debt, keep its, keep its debt small. And because that's the focus, that's where we've ended up, essentially, in the place that we're in, where it hasn't been taking on risk that it should have otherwise been taking on. And so one of the things that we want to do at the New Economics Foundation is to think about, well, what would an alternative way of thinking about this be, or an alternative framework for policymakers to make decisions that might get around that problem and get government thinking about this in a different way? And the way that we would like to start thinking about it is that government has a certain amount of fiscal space, if you like, a kind of a space it can move into by spending. And there's a, there's a limit to that, which is the point at which you start to make markets jittery about lending to government, or you start to kind of just crowd out all other activity. For example, you couldn't have government being 100% of the economy. There has to be, uh, you know, that would obviously be well in breach of its fiscal space. But there is nonetheless this, this space. And we think it'd be much more useful to start thinking about this space, not only in terms of when you breach it and go over it, which is what everyone at the moment focuses on, but to also say, when you're not using it, that's just as irresponsible. So it's irresponsible to go over the limit, and it's irresponsible to be too far under the limit, um, and have a bit of parity in the discussion, and then to help policymakers think about, well, if we're not using it, why aren't we, and how could we best put it to best use? So a slightly nerdy technical thing, but this is something that we're really keen to look at um, at, at NEF. So part of the problem there, perhaps, is the fact that there's this constant comparison between personal debt and government debt and a deliberate conflation of those mm, two things mm. so that people think debt equals bad when as we know in a government situation that's not always the case. Yeah, that's right. And and the irony is that not only are they different things, but actually by conflating them, you actually make it worse for household debt. Mm. Because by treating government like a household budget, it stops doing the things it should be doing. It stops pooling risk. What does that mean? It means that risk falls on families. And you've got an extra pressure for household budget. So it's both, you're absolutely right, they're not the same thing, but there's a kind of added paradox, which is that by conflating them, you're making things worse for families. Okay. We usually try and end on a high, but we've just ended on, <laughs> we're making things worse Sorry. for families. And the producer is desperately telling me that we have to wrap up. So, uh, a happy thing. Can you think of any happy things? A joke, should I tell a joke? Yeah, you tell a joke. Well, I had this weak thing that I was just going to be like, thanks for joining me and being my interest mate. 
How do you feel about that? That's weak. Okay, right. I'm sorry, listener, that's all we have. <laughs> all right, thank you, Alfie Sterling from the New Economics Foundation, Head of Economics. So great. <laughs> so impressive. <laughs> anyway, for joining me, if people want to hear more from you or spend some one-on-one time with you, how can they do that? Yeah, you can, if you kind of haven't had enough of boring interest rate chat, <laughs> then there's plenty of stuff going on on Twitter, I guess. Whenever I, whenever I remember to put something up, that's probably about it. Otherwise, other than when Sky wants someone to debate against Taxpayers Alliance or someone. <laughs> and what is your Twitter handle? Alfie underscore Sterling. Alfie underscore Sterling. That's a bit of a that's mouthful. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> anyway, that is it for this week, lovely listener. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tell someone about it. As always, you can drop us a line with your comments and questions and feelings. We're at Weekly Econ Pod on Twitter. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week. So I've, have I heard Riley that you've got another podcast? I do, I do, Alfie, yes. I'm a big star now. I'm going to be leaving you all behind in this smelly, smelly room. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm d- I've done another podcast with BBC Radio 4 called Economics with Subtitles. It's a four-part series that's going to be playing on Radio 4 on Saturdays at 12pm every Saturday in August. And it's an introduction to all things glamorous and economics-y. So interest rates, debt, growth... Uh, all that kind of sexy stuff. So if you want to hear more of me, if you don't get enough, BBC Radio 4, Saturdays at 12.